Welcome to Wine for Normal People, the podcast for people who like wine, but not the snobbery that goes with it. I'm your host, Elizabeth Schneider, author of the Wine for Normal People book and certified wine dork. And I'm MC Ice, just a wine-loving normal person. This podcast is sponsored by Wine Access. Go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP and check out the page with my latest picks or join the wine club, wineaccess.com slash normal. I love their wines. Listen in the middle of the show for more details. Occasionally, I do it probably quarterly, I go to the patrons and I say, what topics do you want me to talk about on the show? What do you want to have a patron mini class on? What or questions do, you want to have a do they have? What do right. they want to see covered in some way? The one thing that got cut out of the last book that I was very, very sad about Mm -hmm. was the travel chapter. When I do the next book, I am actually planning on taking this same chapter, updating it, and putting it in the new book. But it will cover a lot of the things that we talk about in the show. It's just always nice, I think, to have it in writing, which is the whole point of writing these books. Great. When can we buy uh, Wine for Normal People Part (laughs) 2? Well, when can I finish writing it? When can I when start, you writing, start it? writing it? Right. Really? Oh, oh, no, but remember, I already have a, pe- a chapter That's done. That's true. I'm just going to lift down. It so anyway, occasionally I ask the patrons, and then a lot of times they also just come to me and say, would you do a show on this or that? And sometimes the things are a bit more specific than what we can cover in a show. They, they wouldn't take a full 35 to 50 minutes, which is our general runtime, sometimes an hour. So we asked people. And they came up with a wine region trip. What are the tips? How to not end up in a tourist trap? Mm -hmm. How to, you know, what are the things you should do? What are the things you shouldn't do? So immediately I thought, look, I have already written something exhaustive on this and it did not get out into the world. And although we have talked about this several times, actually a long time ago, Ian Rennick and I talked about this when he used to be in wine and he would come on the show. He's a guest host a long time ago. We would talk about how difficult it is to travel in Europe, but it's definitely gotten a little bit easier. I have to say a couple things. First of all, wine travel is different from regular travel. Very, very yeah, you different. Need, you need bigger suitcases so you can pack more wine that you buy well, we will while address you're that. on your excursion. Of course we will address that. But, you know, you have to prepare in a very different way for a wine trip versus a regular tourist trip. So we need to really... Think about the things you need to consider. I am going to try to be as exhaustive as possible. We're going to leave out some of the things that I think are foregone conclusions, which is obviously once you're there, we have covered etiquette before. Don't be a jerk. Don't travel with groups that are too big. And Wear high heels expect- and get hammered <laughs> and be really loud. Remember the fur vest oh in gosh, the vineyard yes. and the yes barfing in the vineyard? That was nice. Because the patrons did give us this idea, we also need to thank our patrons. As a reminder, starting a couple weeks ago, if you're a month-to-month patron, you need three months of membership before we give you a shout-out. If you join for the year, we give you a shout-out immediately. So the list will be a little bit shorter until November, and then we'll start to do a rolling Mm -hmm. total of people. Right now, we need to thank our yearly patrons, folks who signed up for the year, Kathy C., Amar P., Lisa M., Catherine K., Laura R., Chris B., Mark T., Corey H., and Daniel Z. Thank you 
all so much. We are excited to have you in the community. And if you want to join, it is patreon.com slash wine for normal people. As I already said, you can join month by month. That's not a problem. It's just that the shout outs are a little bit delayed because we were finding, sadly, just like with the class coupons, which are now delayed for three months, that people were joining just to get the shout out or they were joining just to get the coupon. So they were kind of gaming the system. So mm-hmm. we had to change it up a little bit. I'm a one person company, so I can't really afford to be giving freebies out to people. We had to unfortunately have to change the system every now and then. So fortunately, it, get it wasn't that many people that were trying to game the system. It so. wasn't. But, you know, when I find that out, it just kind of bums me out. I know. I know. I know most people don't do it. So you all will get your shout outs in a couple months. And I have no problem if you want to go month to month. I get it. Let's talk about wine country travel. So wine travel requires a lot more research. And you can't be spontaneous, I think, if you want to have a really good trip in the way that you can with regular travel. Like with regular travel, you can be like, hey, you want to just go to that random castle or that, you know, if you're in Europe or, hey, do you want to go that way and go to Mount Rushmore instead of going to Texas? There's a lot of spontaneity that can happen when you're just on a regular trip. You don't don't think you can just head up 29 in Napa and just stumble upon some hidden wineries and make a a weekend out of that strategy? You can. And in the new world, that's where wine travel is way easier, but we will also address old world wine travel. You can do that. Will you find the hidden gems? It's going to be a lot harder to do that without research. You really need to put the time in and you need to make appointments. And by the way, even at some of those larger wineries now, they do have open cellar doors in some places, but those are generally the more commercial places. You need to make an appointment at most really good places in California, frankly. Especially the smaller ones, right? If you want to go to any smaller winery, you have to make an appointment because chances are the person doing the tasting has a a number of other jobs. stomping some grapes. They might be the winemaker, but generally (laughs) speaking, there's somebody who also does a lot of other things, like all the back office stuff. They might be doing some cellar work. They may be doing hospitality, but also private events or other things. They are busy. So generally at small wineries, people wear a lot of hats. So you've got to make an appointment. You can't just stumble in most of the time. When you plan, yeah, sure, you can be spontaneous, but you're not going to have the trip that you will have if you actually plan. And when you plan, you got to restrain yourself. That's the other thing. I mean, I remember going to Paris, like Mm -hmm. Anna and I, my Mm -hmm. my friend and I used to travel together all the time. And we would just be like, okay, we'll just go to these 15 places. And we just wake up really early and go to all of them. We would do everything. This is before Uber and Lyft. Oh, my word. My feet were Uber and Lyft. I'd still walk everywhere. I mean, no matter how much my feet hurt, I still want to walk everywhere. But wine travel, you got to restrain yourself because unless the place is the size of a postage stamp, you can't hit every winery or sub-region. You can't be everywhere unless you're going to stay for a really, really long time. It's just not going to happen. And you've learned this sort of the hard way. I mean, you were aggressive initially, right? Well, we were. That's what I mean. Like, our trips were ridiculous. Well, let's get into that. So this is the question. It's like, I'm taking a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to whatever my favorite wine region is. Let's say that this is the new world. We only have five days. How do I figure out what to do? 
So well, I'm saying if you're day one, stop it in and out first. Fuel up. <laughs> That's only in California. That's We're talking about Australia uh, or New Zealand fine. or Mendoza, Argentina or wherever. Well, they're going to have are... their own version of in and out hamburgers, okay, right? Okay. Yeah. So if you are somebody who I've just said, oh my gosh, we're going to take once a lifetime trip and you don't like planning. And I know some of you are smiling right now and laughing when I'm saying this because it's you. Delegate it to someone who is a planner because it is going to be miserable for you to have to plan if you're somebody who's not a planner. You need somebody, you need to delegate pre-trip work because it can be super fun for people who want to dork out. So whoever you're traveling with, if you're not the planner, delegate it to the planner because there's always one. This is for people who like to read and research. Just think about it this way. You're somebody who hates Riesling, but you're going to Frankfurt, Germany. Mm -hmm. And you decide, you know what? We are near a wine region. We are going to drive that 40 minutes to Rheingau, and we are going to taste nonstop. And if you hate Riesling, you are going to have the single worst trip on planet Earth. Use your time in Frankfurt to do something else, because all that's in Rheingau, all that anyone's really going to boast about is Riesling. So you've got to do that work ahead of time. Where are you going and what kind of wines do they have? And is it something that you want to do? If you're tacking on some days to some European region and you don't know what they have and it happens to be something you really don't like, you're going to be not happy. Or just, yeah, just the opposite. If, if there is a small subregion that does focus in what you like, you could completely miss it. So let's take that same Rheingau example. Mm -hmm. There is an area which I have mentioned many times on the show, and I'm so immature. I'm sorry, Germans. It's called Assmannshausen, which I know you're <laughs> laughing, MCIs, because you've heard me say this before. They specialize in Pinot Noir. They are around the bend from where the famous areas of Rheingau are, but they specialize in Pinot. So maybe mm -hmm. you could go there. But generally speaking, if you are going to Rheingau, you're going to taste Riesling. And if you hate it, then you're going to be out of luck. You get my point. The other thing no one ever thinks about, this is so very important, and this is not about tacking on. This is about you're actually thinking about planning things out. You really need to pick a time of year for your visit. Now, this was in the addendum of the book. This made it into it because I thought it was an important point mm -hmm. that people don't think about. But remember that viticulture, agriculture is seasonal, and depending on the kind of experience you want, you are going to find different things in each season. And each one has benefits and drawbacks. So let me give you some of those now. We have actually traveled at every part of the year. Okay. There has never been a time of the year that we have not one of us or the other of us. I think we've taken trips in all four seasons. Even yes. you have. Yep. Let's start with spring. Spring is when the vines begin their life cycle. Patrons know this because I just did a giant post slash article on the vine life cycle. You might get tiny little green buds for bud burst. Mm -hmm. Then you might get some flowers. You might get some fruit set on the vine. It's going to be pretty. Sometimes there'll be mustard in the field. Right. When I was in Rhone in April, it was absolutely gorgeous. How Tons of mustard. And the winemakers and the wine growers are quite well rested. They've done pruning. They aren't terribly busy, except if it is in a week that they're doing pruning. But generally speaking, they're hanging around the winery. And if you are lucky enough, they may be around to talk to you in the spring. The weather is 
is usually decent. Sometimes it can be cold. The tasting rooms are less crowded because Mm -hmm. it is a little cold. Sometimes it's wet. And bonus, you might even hit some spring release parties where they release their wines in the spring after they spend some time in the barrel or things that haven't aged at all. And they've just been bottled from the tank and they're available for the public to taste for the first time. Do you remember when we went to Walla Walla, it was the spring and we hit a few spring release parties. And it's really nice. People are picking up their wine to our wine club members. And oftentimes they will allow you to come to a spring release party. Oftentimes you have to pay to get in. That's spring. The downside is you're not going to get the pictures of the grapes. Mm -hmm. It may be rainy. Sometimes they're out of things. Depending on where it is in the spring, they may not have certain wines because they've run out of them. Generally speaking, spring is great. They're energized again. They've been pruning, which is a tiring activity. Who doesn't get energized after pruning? (laughs) (laughs) Now you're making me think of suits and Lewis loving his pruning. Okay, I know everybody's obsessed with suits. I think I've mentioned it like four times on the show. Anyway, summer. This is is when you and I, when I lived in California, we decided to go to Napa in the summer. Yes. When we were like, we've got our hotel. Mm-hmm. We're going to, this is going to be so fun. And then after the first winery, it took 20 minutes to make a right onto <laughs> Napa 29. Right. Do you remember yeah, this? Yes. We're yeah. in St. Helena. Yep. 20 minutes to make a right out of the winery. If you want to make a left, forget it. You've got to find another way to get around because you're never going to make a left out of a winery on 29. And then you are in bumper to bumper traffic just trying to go a mile up the road. And then you're late. The tasting room staff looks like they're about to die of exhaustion. They are running around. The glassware is wet. There were people dressed very inappropriately. There were tour buses. There were people asking for wines that there's no way in hell they ever make in a Napa Valley winery. Servers working with two or three groups at a time. Maybe even more. I mean, it is the season that brings the crowds to wine country in the new world and in the old world too, but in the new world especially. And, and it can got be hot. Really, <laughs> really hot. hot. And they're seating you outside yep. most of the time. This is where the reservation comes in because if you have the reservation ahead of time, you make it a couple weeks ahead of time, you could say we want to sit inside because mm-hmm. it's so hot. Summer weekends especially maximum capacity in a lot of places. And I'm not just talking about Napa and I'm not just talking about Sonoma, but I'm talking about places outside of Melbourne and Victoria in South Africa mm-hmm. in Stellenbosch. This is when the crowds come. So in the new world, you are going to see with open cellar doors, you get a lot of people going in the summertime. Places like Long Island, Woodinville in Washington, Napa in California, There aren't that many roads to get you there. That's true, right? If you are fighting on a road on Long Island, you are trapped, my friends. There is no way off that. Long Island doesn't have that many roads out east. And it's not just the Hamptons that gets crowded. It's also those day trippers from a little farther west. So summer is going to be very, very crowded. Are you going to get the great pictures with the big foliage Mm -hmm. and toward the end of the summer you'll get the grapes? Yeah, but you're going to be competing for attention, wine, crowds, and your experience is likely not going to be terrific. Few narrow roads, drivers who don't know the area, and drinking. Some drunk, yes. What could go wrong? And the other thing is, 
Winemakers are not stupid. They make themselves extremely mm, scarce. scarce sure. You will not see a winemaker generally in a tasting room in the summertime if it's busy. You know, I know my friends in Sonoma and Napa have complained about this. Traffic has definitely died down. So there are fewer people making visits to wine country. Simultaneously, the summer is, is the time that brings the hordes. Another very busy time because people who know about wine want to be there is the fall. If you want to learn the most about wine and winemaking and what happens, you can hit the wineries in the early fall when harvest is happening. That's when you go to work. I would not go there to visit because it's the busiest time for producers. In New World places, they're generally up at around 3 a.m. Yep. harvesting when it's cool. You'll see the pickers in the vineyards, so you'll see the trucks transporting tons of grapes on their roadways. You're going to be able to see the crush pad. You'll be able to see a whole bunch of things. The staff might be able to tell you how the harvest is shaping up. You might be able to sneak into a vineyard and grab a grape. There's all of that. That's the best thing about going during harvest. And because people's kids are back in school right. and because it is a time when people tend to start buckling down mm -hmm. a little bit more, get more wine enthusiasts who are there. Okay. But you will still be competing with a lot of people for the attention of the tasting room staff. They may have to be doing harvest, so it may be very hard to get appointments all hands on deck at a small winery mm -hmm. during harvest. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to see any winemaker or winemaking staff except for them to give you a wave hello, but you're not going to be able to talk to anybody. They are busy. They're working around the clock and they're exhausted. But it is an interesting thing to do every now and then. And if you have the stamina and you want to work your butt off and stay on your feet for eight hours, you can also work harvest as well. How would you uh, how would you be able to work harvest at a particular winery? Can you just call can you just call them up and say, you hey, do you need some an help? Email. Yeah, you wouldn't want to call them, but you could send them an email and say, I wondered if you had any opportunities to assist in harvest. But before you do that, let me just be really clear about this. It is backbreaking work. It's more hard work than fun. And nine out of ten times the small wineries prefer that you do not come if you're not willing to really get in. And right. it's not about selfies or pictures. It is sticky, dirty work. You're going to be on your feet for a very long time. Yep. I would never work harvest with people I didn't know. Oh. There's a lot of people who frequent wineries, like your local wineries. If you happen to know those people, that would be the best opportunity. If there's people that you're familiar with, and I'm not talking about far away, there's wineries everywhere. Yeah. So if there's one in particular that's close by, even if it doesn't make the best wine in the world and you want to see what the harvest process is like, mm -hmm. you can reach out to them. Or if you're part of the wine club, things like that, where you're familiar with the wines, that would make it better. If you know the people, it's even better. Yeah. And I'm sure the, the reverse holds true too, that the winery doesn't necessarily want to babysit people and spend all their time they giving can't. instructions. It's right? not just that. They need they people being, being productive. Think long and hard before you decide to do it because it is something that is a burden on them. They also have to have insurance and stuff like that. They have to, you know, so it's a, a bit of a cost sometimes to them, depending on how they do that. So you definitely want to make sure that you are committed to however many days you say you're going to do it, make sure that you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I generally only encourage people to do it if they really want to <laughs> get, get dirty. dirty yes. Yeah. I promised that I would do it again at Null next year, but it's sort of an every other year thing for me. I don't okay. think I would want to do it every year. Did it's you do it last year? There? I did do it last year. Okay. It was 117 degrees every oh, day. Oh, yeah. That was not smart to, to go then. Yeah. Well, who knew? <laughs> um, I love visiting for harvest, but again, I only really go to work. Mm -hmm. My other favorite time, winter. 
I yeah. love visiting mm-hmm. wineries in winter. Why is that? Because I am the only person saying this right now. Yeah. <laughs> Just ruined it because now everyone's going to go during the winter. I love visiting wineries in the winter time. It's cold. The vines don't look pretty. I don't have a lot of Instagrammable pictures, Mm -hmm. but I love it because you get unencumbered time with the staff. Winemakers are around, might get spontaneous personal tours. They might show you things in the vineyards that they don't have time to do otherwise. Even if it's raining, it's okay. I have done this in Piedmont. I have done it in California. I have gone in Virginia in the wintertime. Long Island we've done in the the winter. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And what happens when we do that? Everyone's around. People are like, hey, what's going on? Everyone's relaxed. They're happy to see you because they're not getting a ton of traffic. They are willing to spend time with you. Give you it their really is a relaxing spiel. time to oh, go. I mean, it, a lot of times there's still uh, holiday decorations up, so it can look really pretty. And they're it's just fun. They're in good they're, spirits. They are in good spirits, yes. If you show that you're interested, mm-hmm. then they also are like, oh, well, I, we have these extra things that we don't always open, but I'll do the core of it yep. and I'll open it for you. Whatever. The bad thing is that. The weather's not great. It's not the prettiest time of year, but the flip side of it is that this is a fantastic time to visit because Mm -hmm. you're going to get all the attention. The final thing I'll say is wineries can get packed, and when they do, you're going to get little information beyond. This is a wine from 2020. It has this in it. It was 12 months in French Oak. And then they got it. Right, 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 right. I feel like the, the, the you get more generous pours too in the off season. And to your point, it's easier to try selections maybe that are off the the regular tasting menu. So I'm going to get back to the research, which is now you've decided what season you want to travel based on what we just said. And you're going to look into the specialties of the region. I happen to know a book for that. Hmm. Hmm. Might be called Wine for Normal People. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to figure out who the notable producers are or the must visits in the area. That's any guide or Google is going to do that. I didn't put that in the book because I didn't want to restrain anybody. Mm -hmm. I want you to experiment. If it's your first time to the wine region, sometimes big properties are the best. You know, one of the things for a first visit to Napa, I always recommend is Mondavi because yes. it's such a great experience. Yeah, it is. There are some downsides to the big hulking wineries, but they can put on a terrific experience. They've got their presentation down pretty solid. It's succinct and, and very educational. And some of them have been around a really long time. Yep. And I remember going to, I think it's called Mission or Mission Hill in the Okanagan Valley. They're another one. I think that actually Robert Mondavi helped advise them in getting started, but they're also a really big producer for up there. And that was also really helpful in just getting the lay of the land. They've got a lot of experience and history. So even though you don't love the wines, going to Oakville to Robert Mondavi as a first stop in Napa is never a bad idea. Or if you want something a little bit smaller, Chateau Montalena that won the Paris tasting, that would be a great idea too. Because we found out about a lot of interesting hidden wineries off the beaten path from wineries that we were already visiting. We just asked it because we went during times when we had some extra time to get into more in-depth discussions. It's fine to ask, hey, what else do you like around here? What do you prefer to drink? I'm going to give a caveat, Mtor, because things have changed a lot. Oh. 
Hope you're enjoying this very fun show on wine travel and all of the things that we have learned over the course of time. Another place that you can find fantastic ideas for great producers is Wine Access. Go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP. Check out my page for producers that I love. Check out the site and see who they recommend in the wine regions. Wine Access has a team that is sourcing wine from all over the globe. They travel everywhere and they know these producers and all come highly recommended. So that is another way to get some great ideas for travel. And certainly you can sample the wines before you go and get 10% off your first order if you've never ordered from Wine Access before by going to my special URL, wineaccess.com slash WFNP. You can also join the wine club and get even more special wines that I am very, very intimately familiar with and that I love on wineaccess.com slash normal. You will get six bottles for $150. It's such a great deal. Wine access is a way to get wines that you can't get access to locally. And it is a way to get wines delivered straight to your door with no fuss, with great materials that will educate you on food pairings, on serving temperatures, about the winery, about the region and grape. Go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP. Get some great ideas for producers in various regions that you might want to travel to and get fantastic wines for you to enjoy and things that I love and highly recommend. Wineaccess.com slash WFMP and join the wine club. Wineaccess.com slash normal. We've mentioned Patreon several times in this podcast, but if you are interested in joining, I'll just give you the URL again to join the community that helps keep this podcast going along with Wine Access. We cannot do the show without the patrons, and we certainly couldn't do this show without the patrons since they recommended the topic. Patreon.com slash wine for normal people, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash wine for normal people. And hey, it's fall. Time to get back into the classroom, the wine for normal people classroom, which is your living room in your pajamas. If you want, you can grab as many or as few bottles as you want from the four or five that we taste. And you will learn a ton of stuff about a specific topic with a group of amazing people. It's another way to get involved in the wine community that we have built. Such a fun thing. If you've got interest in wine and you want to learn more and you want to do it from the comfort of your own home, log in. It's live. You never know what's going to happen. Well, you pretty much do. It's going to be couple hours of dorkery and some fun. Go to winefornormalpeople.com slash classes. New classes are always being posted. $30 a person for two hours of fantastic education. Winefornormalpeople.com slash classes. Now let's get back to the show. Unfortunately, because it's become so expensive to live in parts of wine country, this is not in places like the Finger Lakes or I can't speak to Australia or New Zealand because we've never been there. We've never been to Chile or Argentina. So we're really just talking about, you know, U.S. travel. The problem is that there's so many issues with getting competent hospitality staff that they actually might not know anymore. Hmm. So you'd almost be better off looking on TripAdvisor. Unless you get somebody who's real, you've got to feel them out pretty well. It's like a wine steward. You have to make sure they know what they're talking about before you ask them. So it's really important. It's changed a lot. It used to be that you, all these people were locals. They really knew their stuff. It's not like that anymore, sadly, because it's gotten too expensive. So another great resource is I've got a ton of people on the show. Go to winefornormalpeople.libsyn.com for now. I'm fixing the podcast tab on the website so all the podcasts will load eventually. We're having some issues with that. Again, the site is relatively new. 
you can look there. Please do that and use that as a resource because honestly, I'm not always able to get back to you. If you're a patron, I usually am able to get back to you. But even then, if it needs a quick turnaround, I mm-hmm. might not always be able to get back to you. TripAdvisor.com for smaller places is great, especially for international stuff. I use it. I use it for you international do. stuff. Yeah, it is good. If you want to visit smaller wineries, remember you got to call ahead. What I would do is I would, in a research phase, make a list of all the places that you want to visit and make sure that you have their phone numbers and their physical addresses and email addresses. As you're doing the research, write it all down or put it in a spreadsheet so that you have it all and put down the reasons that you might want to visit them so you remember. At this point, you're just amassing a lot of information in the preliminary stages. So that's the first stage. Make sure that you have all of the information on them so you don't have to go back and look at it later. Now, the other option I want to say before, most of this is geared towards do-it-yourself travel, but think about a tour company because if you start poking around and you feel overwhelmed, tour companies are there to help you in a place like Burgundy or in the Loire in Bordeaux, the local guides are going to be able to provide transportation for you. They will be translating. They can give you access to some different wineries. Fortunately, the downside is that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the properties that they do have connections with sometimes aren't the best. Sometimes they are better than what you could do on your own. Sometimes they are not. If you're looking for more of a cultural experience and you don't want to deal with planning, I really recommend hiring a tour company. And again, this I don't care whether it is in your own country or in a different country. If it's in a different country, I really recommend it because the language can be a real issue. So wait, when's your next tour? <laughs> well, yes, of course, you can come on the Wine for Normal uh-huh. People Tour if you're a patron. If you're patron, but yes. sure. And we are doing Piedmont again in first week in October. I can't wait. Can, oh, wait. can't wait till I go away, oh, right? So anyway, just, but the know. point, the thing I want to say is that all these tours come in all price ranges. Sometimes they're in big groups. Sometimes they're one-on-one. Look online for reviews. But let's go back to the do-it-yourself. You've got your places. You have the list together. And then the most important thing. Get a freaking map. Old school paper map? No, I would get a wine region map. All these wine regions, almost every wine region, I can't think of a wine region that does not have its own map. I'm not talking about maps that you're studying from from other third parties that make maps, Uh okay? I'm not talking about something that you get out of a book. I'm talking about go on the region website, the tourist website, and figure out their map because they are going to have where everything is. The local wine association puts something out. I told you to make a list of the wineries you want to go to because I want you to have the ultimate wish list. Like if you could go to every single winery you wanted to go to, here is everything in Barossa. Here's everything in Hunter Valley. Here's everything in Marlboro. Everything you ever wanted to visit is on that list. Now let's get real. You get a map and you start plotting out all of these things and where they are. And at some point, you're going to have to get practical. Because once you start doing that, you're going to figure out how spread out or close together they are. And this is where Google Maps comes in. Don't eyeball it. I am telling you, twisty, windy roads in rural places take a lot longer than you think. True. And a mile or a kilometer Mm -hmm. on one of those roads is not what you think it is. It is way, way, way longer. And it is very easy to underestimate how much time you're going to spend in the car. So the distances can be short. Right. But But they can take forever. Don't factor a mile a minute. 
no, right? <laughs> no, don't do that. The goal is to spend as little time as possible driving and as much time tasting and learning. Do you remember when we first started going, Sonoma is the one where you can really make a giant mistake. We're like, okay, well, let's go. Let's go to this place that's in Carneros. And then like, we're going to go to this Russian River place. And then there's a place in Dry Creek. And then we'll go. Just and then we'll end zigzagging across the region. Uh, it was yeah. so stupid. And mm-hmm. it looked like it wasn't that far away. Mm-hmm. And it was ridiculous. And it took forever. Usually what I like to do is I like to say, okay, here is where the hotel is. Because I don't do Airbnb. I am going to go to the place that is farthest from the hotel in the morning. Uh-huh. And I'm going to make my way back over the course of the day so that in the afternoon I'm back when, at my hotel. When you're tired, right. you can just get back to the hotel quickly. Correct. I highly recommend that method. That's a great strategy. If you are staying overnight, you better make sure that you book a hotel. Please do that in advance because you never know what's going on. There could be a conference you didn't know about. There could be a big group staying in places and it could be really expensive. Book in advance. Do not go up there. Festival or concert or all. I mean, we've seen all kinds of stuff. Weddings. Weddings, yep. Book in advance. Again, not a place for spontaneity. There are not Mm -hmm. enough places for you to just spontaneously pick one unless you want to stay in a real Mm -hmm. hole, which we have done also. If you are planning to swallow the wine, incidentally, mm-hmm. you will need to hire a driver or have a designated driver also. You need a car service. It can be expensive, but you're going to be driving in rural farming areas. You've got to make sure that you have somebody who is keenly aware of how to drive in these places. Yeah, I mean, talking about narrow, windy roads, frequently not well lighted. can Steep. be very dangerous, yes. Make sure that you either spit or you have a car service or you have a designated driver. The other thing I'm going to tell you is there are not a lot of gas stations once you get into the country, so make sure your car is fully gassed up. Or if you're going to run really, really low, make sure <laughs> that that happens at the crest of a, a mountain. Yes, or which we've vi- also While done. visiting a winery at the, on the slopes, yes. Don't think that you can get by with half a tank of gas. Make sure you tank up before you go because well, there aren't assume gas. That there are, they, don't assume that there are gas stations sprinkled throughout these regions because a lot of them can be very rural. And I'm going to say the same thing about stocking up on provisions Get a bunch of bottled water before you go out and non-perishable snacks to keep in the car, especially if it's warm out. Water's going to help you from feeling tired and dehydrated. It's going to help you from getting a massive hangover Mm -hmm. if you are swallowing. And you need to make sure you have snacks before you head out for the day. The other thing that I've already said is about planning You cannot do more than two or three wineries a day if you really want to have a great experience. Each winery is going to take one to two hours of your time, generally speaking, except I found in Oregon they were much shorter visits. Most wine regions I've ever been to, it's a one to two hour affair. Wineries are usually open from 10 to 5 p.m. You need to stop for lunch. You've got a plan for that or you need to bring lunch and just take a break. So build that into your day and then you have to account for all of the driving. Make appointments if you're going to do this. Another thing that I have to say is if you do want to leave some flexibility for things that you discover along the way, Another part of this planning process, about two to three a day, is make the appointments in the morning and leave the afternoon flexible so that if you want to, maybe you can call over and say, hey, we just learned about you. Can Mm -hmm. you squeeze us in? And oftentimes they will. Nice. If you make your day chock full of appointments Mm -hmm. in the afternoon, you will have no room for any flexibility. So you're on the ground. 
already talked about napping. We talked about stocking up on provisions. We talked about making sure you have gas, getting a box or having wine angels. You may want to buy wine. You mean a shipper? A shipper. So you know if I go to any wine region, I try to figure out where a packing store is. I go and buy a case and the styrofoam shippers or the cardboard shippers, and then I drive around with it in my trunk. And then you just load it up as you're buying wine. That's right. right. And then you don't have to worry about them rattling around in your trunk and breaking. Now, the only problem is they do have to come in at the end of the day. Right. So you're just bringing one box in. It also limits me. If I only want to take home a case, Mm -hmm. I really have to think about what I'm going to buy. If you want to ship it home, you have a box and then you can just ask locally, is there a place where I can ship the wine? And oftentimes there'll be a logistics shipper Mm -hmm. who can do that for you legally. Or you can just check the box when you're flying. And that's what I do. If you tell them it's wine, they'll put the fragile sticker on. And I've never had wine ruined from checking it as baggage. True. What about the the wine angels? Right. The wine angels I love. They're on my site. You can go to the store on the Wine for Normal People page and see the link on Amazon. I will make a small commission off of that, like 30 cents, but really putting it What's there What's great for about these is that they're reusable, right? So these are padded plastic bags that you can seal so that if something catastrophic did happen during transit and it broke, then it's not going to get all over your clothes. We've done lots of wrapping of wine in clothes before and have, have gotten pretty lucky over the years. We've had a couple mishaps but only white wine though yeah, which is true lucky. yes but if we had the wine but when, once we started using the wine angels the amount of it really is a secure way because it's a double seal yes the ziploc and then it also has velcro mm-hmm. so just the peace of mind that that brings really helps out a lot just make sure you leave a little room in the suitcase and again checking them with your luggage it's fine if you do my box method you make sure to keep the wine shaded cool and away from direct light so if you have a box, that's going to help, but you don't want it in a sunny trunk if it's in the summertime. I've already talked about the tasting room. Here's a couple of things that I want to make sure, again, because I think this is important. Take pictures of the labels from the wines that oh, you like. Oh, that's a great idea. Especially if you're not going to buy them at the winery and you want to have them at home or order them later. Don't forget, this is the beauty of the phone. Take a picture of the label and maybe even make a note or a voice memo so that you know exactly what you liked about that wine. And if you're not going to bring it home with you, at least you know how to order it for later. Don't get stuck without that. I also like to take pictures of the wineries themselves to document where we've been. But it also, today's phones, they're all geo-stamped so you can actually plot out where you visited pretty easily on, on a map. True. The other thing that I would tell you is save your palate for the wines that you love. So if you don't like something you taste, don't drink the whole glass. Just leave it and try the thing that you do the like. The wineries won't get offended at that. Whether they do or not, it's not their experience. You are going to be paying for a tasting because wineries can no longer afford to do free tasting. It's your prerogative not to drink that. And most of the time, the staff's not going to be offended and you're going to save your palate for something tastier. And with that, I'd also say, remember you have limited spots in your case now that we've discussed this strategy or in your wine angels. Do not guilt buy. Especially if you've already paid for the tasting, you've covered their costs. If they don't make wine that you like, don't buy it. If they make a wine that's okay or that you would drink on a Wednesday night and you really liked them, Mm -hmm. fine. Even if you don't love the wines and you wouldn't buy them normally. But I'm talking about really just bad wine, not worth it. 
Now, the, also, when you get home, don't forget, when you have these bottles, they're meant for drinking mostly between three and five years. So unless you buy really special bottles, mm -hmm. make sure you drink up. Don't forget about these bottles. How many people, oh, we went on a trip in 1998, mm -hmm. and my God, it kills me. You should have consumed it yeah. 15 years ago. Within a couple of years, if you liked the wine when you tasted it there, don't be afraid to drink it once you get it home. Right. Should I address kids real quick? Traveling with kids? Yes. Uh, I th Since we've got plenty of experience with that, and I think that's a good idea. We used to go when our kids were very young. Very young. And it's really nice to expose your children to something new and to show them where food comes from. I think that's a really important thing, honestly, even if it's wine, just to show that there is a path from a farm to a bottle. It's pretty. It's There's lots animals. of things for them to look at, and, and the animals in particular will, will help hold their interest. And now it seems like a lot of wineries are becoming much more child-friendly. So well, I can't tell you how many that have playgrounds or swings or other equipment. That, but you are also limited. Occupy. Yes, you no, are also right. going to be limited because we only went to those places when we were with our kids. But it can be a giant pain in the ass. I'm just going to tell you, first of all, your kids are going to get bored. If you don't have enough for them to do, you're going to wind up entertaining them rather than enjoying yourself. Or you just bring a dumb spouse and let him... <clears throat> um, no, but I mean, if your kids are a handful like ours, you got to have a switch off at some point. You have to have, okay, well, you're going to take them when they start having the fit. Make sure if you've got younger kids, even any kids, really, you've mm -hmm. got to schedule carefully around the times when they might need a nap if they're little nap or they or need food. to eat. Yes. Right. Food. Because remember what we said about food being scarce. Entertainment options. Make sure that you have enough free time. Make sure that you call the wineries ahead of time and make sure that it's okay it's you bring okay the to kids. Bring them, right? Because some of them will not allow you to bring children. Not. No, it's not even that they won't prefer some of them. There are specific wineries in Napa that I've never been to because they have no kids policy. Wow. And I kind of don't like that anyway. European travel and some special things about that. If you've traveled in Europe, you know there are specific areas that do have open cellar doors, but most of them are not like that. Mostly it is by appointment. Even larger wineries are going to require you to make an appointment. Mm -hmm. When you make the appointment... Be on time. Don't think that because you're in Italy, you can be late. You're on Italian time. They expect you there and they will be angry if you don't come. Do not go in a big group because they cannot really accommodate that. Make inquiries via email, generally speaking, off of their website on the Contact Us form. Remember that thing I said about driving distances? Now add the signs are in another language. It can be scarier than it looks at first glance. I have maybe told the story about how I thought I was going to die in the Northern Rhone as I was driving down a cliff, right. essentially. Yep. That's where Google took me. And it took me, thank God I didn't have another appointment after that yeah. one because I had no idea where I was going. But you have to leave a lot of time for getting lost because that's the other thing. Google Maps is not always going to be accurate. You're also going to always miss the turn. It's not easy. Make sure that if the language barrier is going to be an issue for you, that either you leave a ton of time or you hire a tour guide or someone who does speak that language to go with you. Some of the larger towns, if you want to avoid having to go to wineries, which can be a real difficult thing and can be quite stressful, mm -hmm. some of the larger towns have 
tasting bars or wine caves. So Bone has something. Chateauneuf de Pop has something. Montalcino has a producer showcase inside the Fortessa, inside the fortress, which I went to. We, we had a ton of wine. They sell every producer in Montalcino in there. And they actually ship it to you if you order a case for free back to the U.S. For a small fee, you can go in there and get a flavor of it. And then if you want, later on, you can drive around the vineyards. Yep. But then you will have tasted a ton of stuff, and that might be a better option in Europe. And a lot of times those are loca- uh, those are clustered together, right? Yeah. Sometimes the consortium of the region will have a place where you can go taste, okay. which is really, really nice. nice. Getting the wine home... I can't speak to this in other countries. I know there's that in other countries. But in the United States, this comes from Customs and Border Protection. And I want everybody, I will post the link up so that when you travel, you have this. It is from their site. It was just updated in June of 2023. And it says there is no federal limit on the amount of alcohol someone may import into the United States for personal use. However, large quantities might raise the suspicion that the importation is for commercial purposes. Duty rates on alcoholic beverages are based on the percent of alcohol per liter in the product, not on the units of packaging such as per bottle or case. Duty on wine and beer is generally low one to two dollars per liter while fortified wines and spirits are considerably higher duty rates can be obtained and there's some links and you might have to pay excise tax we're talking about a dollar per liter so if you enter the u.s and the customs officer gives you a hard time you will pull this up and you will show them if you show this to them they will have to honor it The duty and custom schedule is actually published and you can show it to them if they give you a hard time. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is make sure you declare it. Can you put a link to this? Yes, it's going in the description, but I want everybody to be very clear that I do not want anybody taking crap from the Customs and Border Protection about this. I will end with this. When you get home, sometimes you think the wine tastes different. And I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. It happened to you just last night, right? Yeah, it tasted better. (laughs) No, (laughs) No, actually, it tasted the same after a while. Yeah, sometimes you just have to decant it. But anyway, you know, this is the answer you've heard before. You're on vacation. Mm -hmm. Everything tastes better. You didn't really remember what it tasted Mm -hmm. like. It tasted great when you were there, yada, yada. Much of wine in the old world, it's a local product. It's made by people in the specific areas. It's for local consumption. Once you get it home, it might not taste quite as good because it wasn't really meant to endure the trip. Although that's less true now because a lot of the wine that's available is for export and it's fine. Local wine, though, sometimes includes local grapes that you're not used to and you forget what they tasted like. And when you get home, they may taste better, may taste better in Europe. It may taste better at home. And then there's bottle shock. Bottle shock is the thing that people forget about. I told you to drink the wine when you got home, but don't drink it right away. Right, right. (laughs) right. Transportation is harsh on a bottle. Well, there's also differences in the cuisine, too, right? Because if you're drinking it with some food samples, that's way better than what you can get here. Then you're in home. Well, the ragu doesn't quite match up to the Italian marinara sauce in Italy that you had when you bought the wine. So it's that true. could that could be a factor as well. Things are not always going to taste the same for a number of reasons. Some of wine is emotional. It's time and place. Some of it is you might have to decant it for a while. I bought a, a bottle in Piedmont I had remembered as being delicious. And last night we opened it and at first it was really ho-hum. And then it opened and blossomed and it was exactly what I remembered. And I thought... I will be buying a lot more of this wine this time when I go because it's not available in the U.S. There are some circumstances where you have to wait, and there are some circumstances where 
You might be either disappointed or you think it tasted better there, but there's many different reasons. It's not like it's a bait and switch. A lot of it has to do with time, place, and manner. So that is our summary here. I hope that some of this was helpful. I think it's just things that you know we have experienced over the course of time that maybe some people don't think about. I'm actually glad that you addressed this because I know that you get a lot of questions from patrons and listeners about travel and winery specifics. And you just can't on top of the 30 other jobs you do. <laughs> but you do, and I know that I you try. try to get back to people, but yeah. can't always be in as timely of a manner as, as people may be expecting. Hey, I'm leaving tomorrow for this trip. Can you give me an itinerary? That yeah, and, and unfortunately, I would love to get back to everybody. And if you listen to old podcasts, I do say I get back to everybody. Unfortunately, that just can't happen anymore because of the volume of emails, but this can serve as your roadmap. So when I can't answer your email, I apologize, but these are the things that I would tell you anyway. Perfect. Go on the podcast and listen and see which wineries I've mentioned in those regions. And that is really your best research. I'm not going to give you anything that's not on the show. I've already mentioned almost everybody that is... You're not withholding secrets from the the listener base, right? No. First thing that you should do before you do anything is please look in the podcast catalog and look at all of those shows and just know I stand by all of them. Those are who I'm going to recommend to you. So you can... That's your first DIY trick. That's our best tips on wine travel. We've been around the block and we made plenty of mistakes. So hopefully we've saved you from a few here and given you some things to think about. Let us pay the dumb tax for you. Exactly. And with that, this has been another episode of Wine for Normal People. Thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time.